CNN. Radio. This is CNN Profiles. I'm your host, Michael Schulder. Joining us today with the Super Bowl just around the corner is the great actress Sandra Bullock. Only, ki- only yes. kidding. Only kidding. <laughs> we have somebody better than Sandra Bullock who won the Academy Award for her role in The Blind Side. The Blind Side is going to the Super Bowl, and the woman we know from The Blind Side, who Sandra Bullock portrayed, is with us right now. Leanne Tui, welcome to CNN Profiles. Hi, Michael. How are you? And let me apologize for my voice. I have been the um, active mother this week, talking very loud and proud about my son and the Ravens. So I'm a little hoarse, so y'all just have to bear with me. And your son, for those uh, few people who haven't seen The Blind Side, the movie, or, or read the incredible book by Michael Lewis, on which the movie was based, Michael Orr, number 74, and uh, he is on the offensive line, not just any offensive lineman of the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he's got a very special position, and tell us why we should be watching him and why his performance uh, could really help determine the game. Well, normally Michael plays left tackle for the Ravens. He's played left tackle all year, except for the Super Bowl. He's going to be at right tackle because our right tackle got hurt. And Michael's, you know, pretty much the only one on the line that can play multiple positions. So I'm 99% sure they're going to flip him over to the right um, to play for the Super Bowl. Um, Typically, though, the left tackle is the position that protects the quarterback's blind side. And uh, he's done it very well all season, and um, good for him for having the ability to be able to flip over to right. So um, he's kind of a you know one of those guys that can do all things and very athletic. And um, you know the Ravens are lucky to have him, according to his mother. Leanne Tui, let me read you a little excerpt from The Blind Side, written by Michael Lewis. Leanne Tui was an extreme and seemingly combustible mixture of tenderness and wolf- willfulness. Uh, When a large drunk man pushed and cut his way in front of her in line outside a football game, she grabbed him by the arm and screamed, should I say it? Do you you remember what you screamed? Michael Lewis is just scared of me, so he just put that stuff down. Well, you just get your fat, you know what, right back where it belongs now. But here's the thing, Michael Lewis is scared of you and I'm scared of you because (laughs) because of what your husband said. Listen to this quote. You have to understand that my wife has a heart the size of a pea. If you cross her, she will step on your throat and take you out and she won't feel a thing. Now, after having read the book, you, have, you do have a heart the size of a pea and the size of a football stadium, depending on the circumstance. Am I right? Well, first of all, I know your mother told you not to believe everything that you read. So just because you read that doesn't necessarily mean it's accurate. Um, I, I, I don't. I have, a, I have a heart for people, and um, and and that's uh, you know has has bode me well. Uh, and I, I wish more people had had that because um, there are great people everywhere, and all they need is a chance and an opportunity. Uh, and I don't like injustice. I'm one for um, standing up for the little guy. Uh, you know, I don't like bullying. I don't like um, condescending people. I don't like people that think they're better than each other. Um, so do I take up for, for those? Yes, I do. Now, does that make me mean or have the heart of a pea? Well, it may, but, you know, get over it because that's who I am. Okay, I'll get over it right now, actually. <laughs> uh, Michael Orr, number 74. So what did you see in him? I mean, there are a lot of needy kids, and you found him. What was it that was the tipping point for you that told you you had to help this kid? 
Well, I mean, as my husband says, I mean, we, we necessarily, you know, weren't happy with the two kids we had. We, we certainly weren't going out to look for a third. So it wasn't like we set out to find Michael. Michael actually, um, you know, our paths just happened to cross. And we simply did one random act of kindness, which was turn our car around and offered him a ride. And Monday became Tuesday and Tuesday became Wednesday. And that became our life. I mean, there was no agenda. There was, um, it, you know, there wasn't like this grandioso plan of what we were going to do. And it just became what it was and um, we we set out to buy the young man a pair of long pants and a and a and a shirt and a coat and um, we fell madly in love with him and and today he thinks that I birthed him so it's that's that's our life and um, some people find it hard to grasp and get their arms around but you know it is what it is and if you can't accept it you know I'm sorry but um, there are wonderful kids like Michael Orr. Just because they're 16 or 17 or 18 does not mean that they do not want a forever family. Um, you can ask any kid that's 21, 22 years old that's never had a family, and they would probably do pretty much anything to know that there was someone that woke up in the morning and cared about them. So, um, I, you know, I challenge people if, um, you know, just age is just a number. That's all it is, is a number. And, um, I, you know, I, I challenge people to just because someone is older not to, to discount the fact that they still want a family. And and that's a big issue in the adoption community. Once you turn a certain age, it is very hard to find a family. Is that right? It's very hard. I mean, it's it's our, our system is a flawed system in this country. I, I don't understand it. We actually do have some bipartisanship um, legislation going on right now. They seem to maybe can get along on this um, issue, but uh, there's been no new adoption foster care laws in this country for years and years and years, and it's long overdue, but it's like we take care of you on Monday when you're 17, and on Tuesday when you turn 18, we throw you to the curb. It makes no sense. It's stupid, um, but it's one of many stupid you know issues that we have in this country. So, But this is something manageable. It's doable. There's 400 thousand and change foster kids in this country. Um, we have more churches than that in the United States of America. If every um, faith-based institution took responsibility for one kid in foster care and placed them in a loving home, we would wipe out the need for foster care. I'm sorry, that's not hard. That, that's not hard. And I can't figure out why we haven't done it. So um, hence, I'm hoarse because I talk about it 24-7, and I'm going to keep talking about it, and hopefully some you know, day someone will actually listen. And, and, and you didn't know any of this before you met Michael Orr, did you? Oh, heavens no. I was an interior designer. I cut and pasted and glued and made beauty. So, no, I didn't, I, I didn't know anything about this. But um, I don't feel like that it was dropped in, in my lap by accident. Um, we feel this is a very God-driven thing, and, and we feel very responsible to be good stewards of the message and to do what we can to, you know, to continue to move the needle. This is CNN Profiles. We're with, uh, speaking with Leanne Tuohy. Uh, who is the adoptive mother of uh, number 74 on the Baltimore Ravens, Michael Orr. Uh, we're going to get into your football observation soon. But uh, let me ask you something about this. So you turned around, you picked up this kid who needed a pair of pants, and you said you were an interior designer at the time. You still are, right? Well, I am. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of time for that these days. I wish I did. I tried doing it. Um, we're almost we're about three years removed from when the movie came out, and um, I, I tried the first year to, to juggle all the the balls. Um, I have a degree in interior design. I've done it for you know twenty five plus years, and um, right now you know I've I've just uh, taken a different direction in life. I think that's called the seasons of life, or so my grandmother used to tell me. And in terms of your family, I I, you know, I think I read a reference to your father. I mean, we, was your father a racist? 
Well, my father was a, he was a career military man. Um, he was a police officer, and then for the you know last twenty something years of his life, he was a United States Marshal. I don't know that he was a racist. Um, you know, some people would probably call him that, but my dad had a great heart, and I learned a lot of my giving and caring for people from my father. And so, so it's yes, he might have had some issues um, with not accepting people because of their skin color. But deep down, he always did the right thing. So was, was he alive when, uh, when you established your family's relationship with Michael? No, he was not. My father had a massive heart attack fairly young and passed away in his early 60s. So he had been deceased several years before we ever met Michael. Well, how would you have explained it to him what you were doing? This is what I'm doing. And if you don't like it, you need to die or get over it. I mean, it, you know, that's what we've done with everybody. And my dad wouldn't have been any different. So... And he would have accepted that? I think, yes, absolutely. I mean, believe me, Michael was not the first crazy harebrained thing that I've ever done. My poor husband um, just, you know, sometimes I get the hand like, you're not doing this. That's not very often after 31 years of marriage. But, no, he would have, um, my dad would have been fine with it. He would have been totally fine with it. We had done other things for other African-American people, and, you know, he didn't have any issues with it. So we'd never done it to this scale or this magnitude. But this was not the first thing that we'd ever done. So, so Michael Orr, he's been described just because of his physique and because of the position he plays in football as, as almost a freak of nature. And this is, we were talking about a very violent sport. And I was fascinated. I had seen the movie. I hadn't read the book until just the past few days. And the book begins with a description of Lawrence Taylor, who was one of the most powerful forces on defense, transformed uh, what a sack is. Taylor offered his definition of a sack. A sack is when you run up behind somebody who's not watching, he doesn't see you, and you really put your helmet into him. The ball goes fluttering everywhere, and the coach comes out and asks the quarterback, are you all right? That's a sack. And then he goes on to say, I don't like to just wrap the quarterback. I don't like to just wrap the quarterback. I really try to make him see seven fingers when they hold up three. I'll drive my helmet into him, or if I can, I'll bring my arm up over his head and try to axe the son of a bitch in two. So long as the guy is holding the ball, I intend to hurt him. If I hit the guy right, it'll hit a nerve and he'll feel electrocuted. He'll forget for a few seconds that he's on a football field. This is the kind of man that your son has been hired to defend against and to protect the quarterback from. What makes your son able to protect the quarterback from a guy who's that intent on doing harm? Well, you know, it's, things have changed a little bit now. I think that kind of hit would probably get you a $50,000 fine in the NFL now. Um, it's changed a little bit since Lawrence's days, which is, you know, thank goodness for that. Um, but Michael is a freak of nature. He really is. And he's fast. And how, how tall is he and how much does he weigh? He's six six, and probably right now he's maybe three fifteen, three ten. He probably has about eight percent body fat. He's just obsessed with being healthy. Drinks a gallon of water every day, and you know I'll get ready to put something in my mouth, and I go, "You're not going to eat that, are you?" And I go, "No, no, I, I wasn't going to eat it." You know, and I'll, he just makes you feel guilty, and um, it, it's just funny. He, he is obsessed with being healthy and 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 in shape, and, and and he is, and it's paid off. I mean, it's boded him well. Sometimes when we're on the field before a game at an away stadium, I look at like the bellies of the other offensive linemen and Michael, and there's a little bit of shape difference. So 
Um, obviously, I'm a little biased, but he, he is absolutely in unbelievable shape. You know, I look at those bellies, too, and I wonder, when you watch these games, first of all, when, you, when you're watching the Super Bowl, are you going to keep your eye on Michael, or are you going to keep it on the quarterback, or just sort of watch the big picture as we all often do? I watch nobody but Michael. I watch. I mean, I'll watch defense, but when the offense is on the field, I don't take my eyes off of him from the minute Joe snaps the ball to the play is over. I mean, I just, you know, that's only – I don't watch anyone with him. Now, I will TiVo the game, and I'll go back and I'll watch the entire game because I miss 80% of what goes on. But I only watch Michael when the offense is on the field. So give us a different perspective because you're probably one of the few people out there who watches one player – who most of us don't watch uh, because the offensive line is not. We watch, you know, we watch the quarterback. We watch who's got the ball. So tell us what you see in a game, and what you can determine from watching how Michael's playing and how the overall game may be going. Well, you know, it's interesting because I know what a lot of times what Michael's supposed to do. I watch him so much. Sometimes I'll know what the play is, and I'll know if he is supposed to, you know, um, do a zone or, or if he's got um, just one a man-to-man player or if he's covering, you know, two guys. I'll know what it is. The normal person doesn't know that. And if, if like, Michael's not on a guy, you know, they'll start screaming, oh, or get on your man. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, you're so stupid. That's not what he's supposed to be doing. And, you know, after now, this is our fourth year in the league, I just put up with, with – with that, I mean, I, I would give my right arm if there was a um, vaccination for stupid, but we haven't come out with one yet. And there are some people that watch NFL games that have no idea, and they go, "Or let the you know quarterback get sacked." And I'm going, "No, no, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. You know, the nose guard didn't do what he was supposed to do." You know, so I do see it differently than that. Um, but it is. I mean, he uh, he does an amazing job. He a lot of times he's so quick off the ball. And in college, even in high school, uh, his coaches would go to the ref before the the game, and they'll go, "Look, you know, seventy four is quick off the ball. You know, don't throw a flag because you think that you know he's gone." You know, offsides, he's moved too quickly because he's not. He's just fast off the ball, right, with the quarterback. And I can see Joe and Michael's body language occasionally when there is, you know, they'll, you know, call Michael for offsides. I'll see Joe go up to him and tap, you know, his chest and go, my bad. Because Joe will, you know, like start a snap count and maybe look around. And Michael just is continuing to go on his count. And people will blame it on Michael. And it really wasn't Michael's fault. So wait, wait, so did, 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 I hear you, did I hear you right? So you would go up to, who would you go up to to warn them that he's fast off the off the snap? Well, in high school, his high school coach would do that. Uh, he would go to the referees before the game would start, and he'd go, I'm going to tell you something right now. Don't start throwing a bunch of penalties on 74 because he's fast off the ball. Everyone else is just a step slow. He's a step fast. And and I would get tickled because sometimes after the game, the coach would tell us he'd go about midway through the ref would go, man, we're glad you told us that, coach, because we would have been throwing flags and you were 100% right. Wow. So Michael's just – his timing is – I mean, it's just crazy. It's 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 um it's just like we said earlier. It's just kind of a freak of nature. Uh, so uh, so, um, let, so let me ask you this: vaccination for stupid. I mean, that that's a very marketable idea. Can you help us with that? So give give <laughs> give, give people like me because you know I you know I only watch a few games a year really, and a lot of us who watch the Super Bowl. I mean, that's that's sort of like the one or two or three games we watch. Give us a little vaccination for stupid. What? How should we watch the game on Sunday? What should we be looking for, especially from the Ravens side? which you know so well. 
Well, I mean, I think if you're just an NFL fan, just enjoy the game. I mean, enjoy the, you know, well, we won't have a flyover because it's in an indoor dome, which is kind of sad because the flyover, flyover always gives me chills. But, I mean, you know, watch, um, you know, the national anthem being sung and don't miss the halftime show with Beyonce and, and um, you know, just just enjoy it. Don't try to dissect it. So many people get in there and, and um, they're just, they just, every single play, they cut apart and they try to figure out who did this or who didn't do that. And it, you know, it just takes a lot of the enjoyment out of the game um, you know as a parent I'm 100% nervous I mean when we were in Denver at the playoff game when the the overtime started I just went in the ladies bathroom got in the end stall and just sat there on the toilet until it was over because my nerves just could not handle it so hopefully the Super Bowl will not be that nerve-wracking it's um, it's very hard to get here and now that we're here, I'm going to try to enjoy it because a lot, so many games I'm just, just uptight and nervous. And I'm thinking, okay, we're here, and I'm going to take a deep breath and just soak all this in and enjoy it because, you know, you just it's, it's a long road to get there. And uh, I don't want to stay in the bathroom this game and miss anything. So, so this, this idea, though, that you mentioned, you know, that he's a freak of nature in, in a positive way. I mean, you know, the guy's got incredible skills, as, as many of his colleagues do and fellow players do. Uh, and at the same time, the images come up where he's sort of like a Ferdinand the Bull, which is a story I've loved reading to my kids. This bull who just doesn't want to fight. He wants to smell the flowers and sit in his spot in the field. Does Michael have some of that in him? And how does he overcome that if he does for such he a violent sport? He has none of that, none of that in him. When he gets off of the bus into the parking lot at a football stadium, he is a warrior, and you do not want to get in his in his path at all. Trust me, you can line up a whole slew of players that have played across from him, and they will tell you that you don't want to mess with him. He talks smack um, from beginning to end, and um, he's a bad boy on the football field. So he just has a a, a great heart when he's when he's um, not doing his job, and um, and that's a beautiful thing because you know he he totally gets the fact that. There, there are people out there that, given the least little bit of help, you know, it'll change their life. And he's been such a great steward of that message. And but on the football field, he is all business all day, and he will kick your ass. So, okay, well, he won't kick mine. I'm not going out there. <laughs> You're smart. I'm just. Uh, in fact, You're I'm. A, you know what? It's. A, I mean, you, you seem to be such a. You know, a great involved mother. I, you know, my parents passed away a few years ago. I'm 53. I don't play football, but I, I play a pretty good game of tennis. Would you be a uh, are you adoptable? In, yeah, sure. would you be interested? It's it's hard. You know, it is hard to get fifty three year olds adopted these days. Yeah, I know that that is that's. You're, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm a little bit younger than that, but but I feel you. I mean, I know it. It would be a task. But if you're if you um if you're up to, if you're up to it, we certainly could look into it. <laughs> well, thank you. So let's let's finish this off with with really what your whole mission was about, which was not to produce a football player, but to but to help a kid who needed help. Uh, and now I'm going to read from I Beat the Odds, uh, your son's new book. Uh, he says, and this is really a, a, a great definition of what it is to be poor. He says, you're not poor if you know where your next meal is coming from. That's one of the first lessons I learned growing up. The lines were pretty clear. There were people who had food and there were people who had to scrounge. Most of the time, way more than most of the time, I was in the second group. Given that definition of poverty and given the fact that most of us really or many of us are not prepared to go the route you did, which was to take one step and another and another in full adoption, what, based on your experience on the ground, because you're helping a lot of people, what's the best thing we can do? Well, you know, I think it's interesting um, as 
Americans or whomever might be listening to this, we, we, we don't really, I think, realize how economically challenged so many people are in this country right now. Um, I spoke, oh gosh, it's been probably eight weeks ago now, I'm not really sure, at um, the New Hampshire Food Bank. It's a little bitty state. We have lots of states bigger than that one in this country. And there are 144,000 people a day in the state of New Hampshire that go hungry. Can you imagine if you extrapolate that to a state like California or Texas or Florida, the amount of people that go hungry? And, you know, we're such a nation of riches, and, and we just, you know, sometimes I think we're so focused on the wrong things. We have people in this country that are sleeping in cars. We have people in this country that are going to bed hungry every single night. We have kids in this country that have not slept in a bed that um, that will share a piece of bread between three of them. Shame on us. Shame on us. You, you, God, I firmly believe if you have it to give and don't, then, you know, you're the bad guy. If you have it to give and and then give it. Um, you know, but you can also give of your time. Giving of your time is just as important as giving of your dollars. And um, there, are, the needs are great right now. And it's it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around and figure out how you can help someone. Um, you know, take an old coat. Don't drop it in the box at the supermarket. Go find a person that's going to be wearing that coat and hand it to them. The look on their face should change your life. And once you do something like that and you initially get started, you will do it time and time again. Trust me, because this is what we do. We didn't, you know, we don't hear about this on, you know, Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil, or we didn't read. This is this is our lives, and it, 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 will, it will make you the better person for doing it. Trust me, it really, really will. Look back, give, and make eye contact. Absolutely. It's not hard. Not hard at all. Doesn't take a degree from Harvard to do what you just said. Again, Tui, uh, thank you so much. Uh, uh, good luck watching uh, the Super Bowl and surviving uh, the tension. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us on CNN Profiles. Thank you, and go Ravens. By the way, you can find CNN Profiles on our website, cnn.com soundwaves, or download us from iTunes, or go to SoundCloud. And please, if you like what you hear, don't be shy, share. Share.